Good morning, everyone. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 is the verse we're going to uh, look at this morning. This is the final part of our four-part uh, sermon series entitled Missionaries. Uh, we hope and pray that you've been blessed by the missionaries that came during the missions convention and also uh, the words that's been spoken throughout this series to encourage us to give us faith and cause us to believe. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let's stand as we read uh, this one verse. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some has counted slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the missionaries that are around the world today spreading your gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Lord, that they're reaching people of people groups that have never heard your name. God, I pray in any congregation around the world today as they hear your name for the first time, the name Jesus. Lord, that they would be receptive of your, of your name and of your word. And Lord, that they would be filled with faith and come to an understanding of you that the Bible declares. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says... Amen. You can be seated. This sermon series we've taken every week, including the week that uh, Sister Emily spoke, our missionary to uh, Appalachia, as she spoke uh, so uh, perfectly about that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. And we understand if we contextualize this verse, that if we put it into the context in which Peter is writing here, we understand this word to be true, that the Lord's not slack concerning his promises as far as his second coming. And we uh, wholeheartedly believe that as a church, as a congregation, as a people, that God will return and receive us back to himself. But as I read that verse uh, and thinking about that verse this week, it says the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. And I know it's in contextual form that it's talking about his second coming. But I also believe that the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as in all of them combined, inclusive of every promise he made. Amen? The scripture is full of promises that God has told us that are true. And the Bible does say that all his promises are yea and amen. That whatever God says, God promises, God will do. Won't you look at your neighbor and say, God's promises are true to you. Every individual in this room today, I believe that God has a plan for your life. Amen? That he has a reason, a purpose for you to live, to exist. The Bible says that in him we move and have our being, that we are in his power, in his authority as we come under his lordship. And as I think about all those promises and thinking about how that the promises of God are yea and amen, that, that we've got to believe that it takes faith to enact the promises of God in our life. That sometimes his promises are true, but they're only true if we accept them. Just like his son Jesus. If we don't accept his son Jesus as Lord of our life, the Lord has promised us that he could be Lord of our life. Amen? But unless we accept that, we will never receive that. Amen? Amen? That it's true that God's word is it, it, it's incumbent upon us to, to believe and enact faith to trust God. So as I say that today, that his promises are true, there's all kinds of promises God's got for your life, but are you going to believe him and trust in him to receive those promises? 
because it takes faith. The Bible says that the just shall walk and live by faith. If we want to be just in God's eyes, we've got to walk and live by faith. So in, in thinking about that, that, that there's God's will, we talk about God's will, and some people come to the conclusion that God's will will always be done. Amen? That, that we say, well, that, if God's will, then it'll be done. Like it's an automatic fact that just because it's God's will, it's going to be done. We, we put that kind of power in his reign. But then God says back to us some places in Scripture that sometimes the power of whether his will is done or not is the power in our life. He gave us that power. Where we took upon the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve partook of that, evil set in, and we became like God. Amen? We're created in his image, so we become powerful over our own life. And God gave us that authority. He didn't say, well, I won't take that back from you now, Adam and Eve. He let them go on, but he said it brings a curse when it comes. That there's good and evil. It's present. So as we look at that, I, I found a place in Mark chapter 6. So if you turn there, Mark chapter 6 you'll see that there are some things that will stop God's will from being done. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth in his hometown. This is a New Living Translation. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed and they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Verse 5. You need to underline this in your Bible. And because of their unbelief, Amen. Amen. Because of their unbelief, he could not do any miracles there except to lay his hands upon a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So God's will is to heal, right? We believe that. We believe in Scripture that Peter says that, that uh, by his stripes we are, were healed. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, by his stripes we are healed. That there's all kinds of places. In, in Psalms 103, verse 3, it says uh, that all of our sickness is upon him. That through his stripes on his back, that Jesus took upon his back, we believe in healing. We believe that God can heal. How many believes God can heal? Amen. People that's sick, that have family members maybe that's got a, a certain condition or an ailment or something. I believe God can heal. I believe scripture teaches that God can heal. And Jesus is the healer. In one place in the Old Testament, it's in Deuteronomy, he says, I am the Lord, your physician. He's the God that heals us. Amen. I believe that to be true. But, the, but just by believing that, we can receive that. Because it says here that it's telling us that he couldn't do very many miracles there because of their unbelief. So how, my question to us today is, as a church, how many times do we disbelieve God? How many times is unbelief present in our mind, in our heart, in our soul, to say, God, you're allowed to go this far, but you can't go that far? And we stop the miracle in our life of what God is wanting to do, His will in our life, His perfect plan in our life, <coughs> His promise in our life. How many believes that to be true? That God's will is perfect, but it's incumbent upon us to accept it and to believe it. 
and to allow it. So today you have the right, you have the authority given to you by God that you are a free uh, moral agent, that God has allowed you the possession of your life, and you can accept him or you can deny him. You can accept his promise or you can deny his promise. So today, are we going to do that? Are we going to leave this place just like we came in? Did we come here today seeking God to say, God, I need a few answers in my life, and I've got this going on and that going on and conditions and this and that and different things happening and circumstances and just all these things are against me, and it seems like today I want to walk into your church today, God, and I want to walk out a brand new man. I want to walk out a brand new woman. I want to see a miracle happen in my life today. I don't know about you, but I, I came in this place today seeking God that his plan would be fulfilled in my life. Because it's, it's uh, I don't know about you, but I battle, the, the person I battle the most is myself. Is that true of anybody else in here? The place where I battle the most is right inside of between these two ears. The Bible says take every thought captive. Amen. Take your thoughts captive. Put them under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible even also says in Philippians chapter 2 verse something, uh, 5 somewhere thereabout, or I don't know, it's in Philippians chapter 2. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. How many would like to think like Jesus? He believed God. He trusted God, right? He didn't. You, Jesus was perfect, so there was no uh, ill will or ill mindset coming from Jesus' perspective. And if Philippians, if Paul is telling the Philippian church, let this mind be in you as in Christ Jesus, then it's possible. God won't write anything in his word that's not possible. Amen? All things are possible to him that believes. I trust that to be true today. So as I think about that, that Jesus couldn't even perform miracles in his own home, homeland. And how does this tie into missionaries, you may be saying? Well, I don't know. We'll try to figure it out. Hopefully it can. Missionaries, this assembly of God, when they, 300 people first met together there in Hot Springs, Arkansas in 1914, they declared that this would be the greatest evangelic um, movement that has ever hit the planet. They declared, 300 people, we're going to tackle the world. I don't know about you. If you the Bible says, despise not the day of small beginnings. And a lot of times in our lives, because great big things doesn't happen instantaneous, we give up too easy. Amen? Despise not the days of small beginnings. And just because you may be coming together to say, let's tackle the war, 300 of us, and you may look around and say, well, 300 ain't very many. And you may be looking around this morning and say, well, how are we going to tackle the issues that face our society, our culture, our region that we live in? Appalachia, how is it going to be reached? I don't understand how that just a little church full of people with 80 to 100 people, how are we going to do that? How are we going to accomplish this task that God's given us? But if, we're, if we look back and look like Caleb, amen, if we look like Joshua, and you needed some Caleb's in your midst, amen? You need some people to come out and say, we're well able to take the land. Let's go because there's great big grapes over there, and God has promised us, and he will not fail us. You need some of those type of people in your life that will encourage you, that will strengthen you, that will prod you along this journey to say, with God it's possible. Is there anybody in this room today that's facing some battles and you needed a preacher to stand up today and encourage you to say, God is well able to take care of us today. He can bring us over mountains. He can level the whole thing. He can make it flat just like a plateau in our life if we ask him. 
Jesus couldn't do many miracles there. Those 300 people believed and they acted on that belief and then they started sending out missionaries and the next thing you know, the missionaries travel overseas everywhere and this book that I've got right here, People of the Spirit, this is one of the books that we have to uh, learn in our theology classes and, and they go through uh, people, person after person after person. People that believed God and trusted God, the early pioneers of the symbols of God, missionaries. And it tells stories about how they would go and how angels would meet them along their journey. How many believes that? How many believes that the Bible tells us that angels go before us and they prepare a way for us? I believe in that. I believe in the gospel. I believe in that book that I read. And these people trusted God and they set out. And most of these early pioneers that, that's in this book, they didn't even, like our missionaries today, we send them off for four years and they come back like they did this last week. And I'm glad they do. I'm glad we get to hear from them. These people, you want to know how they got their belongings on foreign ground? They bought a casket. And they put every bit of their belongings they could put into a casket and they shipped it to the country where they was going. And then they got on a boat and they followed that casket. You know why? Because they said, this mission is worth my life. For those people that's on the wall, the pictures that we see, those are individuals. And they don't know Jesus. And unless I go, Paul says, how shall they hear unless a preacher is sent? It's in Romans. They believe those verses when they read them. They don't just read them and think, well, that's for somebody else. They say, no, God, use me. Let me be in the midst. So these people, they would send their, their, their coffin over there, and they would go. And these miracles would happen and different things, and, and people would believe. And, and it's like a, a Thrasher that I talked about a few weeks ago and, and all these different ones that uh, Annie. and There's all kinds of people in this book of stories of people that trusted God. But the deal is, I believe we can get hung up on a few verses. That's why denominations are, are created. Denominations are created because a, a person will get hung up on one or two verses and say, this is all I believe and that's all they preach. Just, the Bible says take the whole counsel of God. That whole book, the Bible, the entire book, the entire thing. That we're to take it and let it be our lives. The whole counsel of God. So as I think about that, sure, I believe in miracles. Sure, I believe in healing. Sure, I believe in evangelism. Sure, I believe in missions. Sure, I believe in these things. So I go back and I think, okay, let's go to the New Testament. If we want to see a true picture of what missionaries are supposed to be, then let's go look at the New Testament because that's where the missionaries began. One of the first missionaries you read about in the book of Acts is, is Paul, the apostle. There was others, but Paul was one of the first that, that truly accomplished great things because God equipped him to do so. So let's see if you'll put up the picture. 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 Eastern Kentucky, that's where I'm from. It's just okay. Here's Paul, missionary journey. Apostle Paul had three different missionary journeys. And if you read through the book of Acts, it, it depicts these. It gives you the traveling plan that he had taken. Sometimes God uh, aborted Paul's plan and took him to a different place. We preached about that a few weeks ago about whenever he was standing there and, and uh, the guy come to him in a vision and say, come over here, Macedonian call. We preached about that during missions, missionary series. But here's Paul's journeys. He took three trips around this region. So as we think about the Apostle Paul, 
that if we're going to take the whole counsel of God and understand missionaries to be the way it was supposed to be, here's how it works. Paul would leave, and he uh, was a... Uh, Grew up in Tarsus, so on the far right-hand side, up about right where the purple loops down there, that's Tarsus. That's his home, home country, hometown, where he grew up. So after he, he got about the age of 12, he took a journey and come down into Jerusalem. He stayed with Jerusalem, and the Bible talks about, Paul talks about, often the, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel and how that he, he, he studied to be a good Jewish person. He, he wanted religion. He, he wanted his uh, heritage that he grew up with, this religious culture that he'd come up, come up under, that he wanted to be the best at it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best. Amen? There's nothing wrong with striving for, for perfection. So Paul tried to do that, and he came down to Jerusalem. And as he got down there, he, he became a Pharisee. So he became one of the strictest of the strict in the law, according to the Old Testament. He understood it. He, he, he says in one place that, according to the law, I'm blameless. That's amazing. Have you ever read the Old Testament? 600 and some laws, commandments that you have to obey. And Paul says, I'm blameless of all 600. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to keep up with the Ten Commandments. Amen? You know why? Because thou shalt not kill. They said that to Jesus. And Jesus said, well, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not whatever, thou shalt not covet. He said, if you just look at a woman and lust after her, you've already uh, committed adultery in your heart. Jesus' commandment goes even above the Ten Commandments. So it's hard for us to live. And Paul said, I'm blameless. But let me tell you something today. Religion will not get you to heaven. You don't need to become more religious. Amen? Some people think, well, I come to church, I give my life to Jesus, and like last week, I, I end up getting water baptized, and, and now what? I just, I just need to get on more religion. I need to study more. I need to do this. I need to take this kind of class or that kind of class. And it's not about that. It's not about becoming religious. Religious is just repetitiveness. If we repeat, learn how to repeat. And God didn't create you to be a replica of somebody else. Amen? He created us as individuals because we've all got an independent personality, perspectives, and, and way of doing things, and God is equipping us to do the work he's called us to do. See, because my calling and Kevin's calling is not the same thing. Amen? We all have a different calling. So Paul had to understand. So he come to this conclusion. He was really religious. He was really effective in his own religion. But then he come upon this place where the church was being birthed. And he was saying, you know what? There's always Jesus lovers out here. And what these Jesus lovers need is more religion. They need to come back home to religion. And he goes out and he, and he travels. This one time and he went and got approval. He said, let me go to Damascus up here in Syria. And when I get up in Syria, I'm going to go to Damascus. And I'm going to put people in prison. That's what he was doing. He was going there to put Christians in prison. Anybody want somebody to come through the door today and put you in prison for just attending a church service? There's people around the country today that will. Some of our missionaries, if they get found out, we can't mention their name or where they're at or what they're doing because if they get found out in social media, the age we live in, there's enough computers out there that can auto-detect what I'm saying today. If I say certain names, they'll be put in prison today. Iran, just a few years ago, you remember the Christian missionary that was over there in Iran, got put in prison, stayed in prison for several years before he got released. See, our 
relaxed culture that we live in is easy. Americans are comfortable. Amen? As Americans, we're comfortable. We like our padded seats. We like our perfect air-conditioned room, right? It feels a little bit warm in here, but it's okay. We can open the windows or something. We'll go old school. But Paul's missionary journey, he, he was easy at religious. So it goes back to this, that Jesus, as Paul is going to Damascus, he's, he's traveling along that road and that journey. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And I implore the church of Bethesda to begin to read the book of Acts to understand missionaries. If you want to really see missionaries, look at the book of Acts. Read through it and just look at it from the perspective that missionaries are on the move and they're accomplishing great and mighty things for the kingdom of God according to their actions that they're doing. So Paul takes off and he's traveling this journey. And as he's traveling, a bright light hits him as he's traveling along this road to Damascus and it knocks him off his horse and it blinds him. So here he's laying on the ground and, and he looks up and he, he pictures and he sees this not with his physical eyes, I don't believe. I believe it's his spiritual eyes are opened, amen? Because I believe in spiritual eyes as well. Amen? I believe that the spirit man is just as real as our physical man, if not even more real. Because this will perish, it'll never perish. Amen? And as he looks up, he sees Jesus. So this person that's getting ready to go arrest Christians for loving Jesus gets knocked off his high horse and he sits there laying on the ground looking up and he sees this bright light and he sees Jesus and he says, Lord, can I tell you that's a different point in your life? Whether you get knocked off of your high horse and whenever you're riding around doing whatever you want to do and persecuting who you want to persecute and make fun of whoever you want to make fun of, that all of a sudden you get knocked off your high horse and you look up and you see Jesus? You see, I can remember those days when I worked at U.S. Shoe Factory that I made fun of Christians, that I persecuted them, that I would mock and ridicule and make fun of people that was a Christian. And when I got knocked off my high horse, then all of a sudden I'm the one in the brake trailer at work saying, well, I'm trying to live for Jesus. And everybody pointing their finger, ah, look at me. And you remember him? That's that drunk. That's that hoodlum. It's hard. Paul got knocked off his horse, and when he did, he went in, and then Ananias comes and lays hands on him, and he gets his sight back, and as he gets his sight back, he goes to study and looking through Scripture for Jesus in the Old Testament, and he finds him all over the place. You see, a lot of times you look through the Old Testament, you think, well, that was some other generation, that was another group of people. Jesus was a Jew. He was the perfect Jew. And as Jesus, as you see him in Old Testament, Paul begins to preach and he goes around and he goes to all these cities and God calls him to go pastor churches and plant churches. He's a missionary. So as he goes, he plants these churches. A lot of times he'll stay two to three years. So he'll come into the town like Kentucky Heights. We've been up here. How long have we been here? Two and a half years. Coming up on three. So about Easter time, somewhere there about it'll be three years. Adios, amigos. I've been here three years, tried to prepare you to be a church, elect yourself a good leader, and go on at it. That's what Paul would do. He'd come into town for three years, gone. I don't know about you, it's hard to equip anybody in three years to do anything. But Paul would do it. And he would write letters back to him. So all these letters that you see in the New Testament, if you, if you go through and read Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonica. He, he writes back to all these churches that he had went and planted churches in. And can you imagine as a missionary writing these letters back to these churches and, and you're telling them. There, there's one that 
I want to find. As he's writing back to these churches, he's, he's thinking there's these memories of these people that he, that he wants to, 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 to talk to. There's these people that he wants, to, wants them to understand what he's hearing. I think it's in 2 Thessalonica. Yeah, it is. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. I love this verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul, the apostle, writing back to this church that he had planted, that he had led, that he had pastored, and he, and he writes this verse to him. And I, I love this verse. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Remember when I said? The word of God establishes our goings. So as I think about this, that I think back through my life, and, and really sometimes I, I like stability. I like safety. I'm kind of in the, the American by nature, right, that, that I just like being safe and comfortable, and, and I don't like being pressured, or I don't like being somebody saying, well, Pastor Ben, you need to do that, or you need to do this. or I just like the security of my own little world where that I've got everything under control. Is there anybody else in this room like that, that you'd like to just control? We're, we're so influenced by control that as long as I'm in my little safe little place, everything's going to be okay. That's me. But all through my life, if you would look at my resume, you would say I'm one of the biggest quitters that the world has ever seen. In my employment, in my job, in the way that my life has went, you would look at me and say he's totally unsuccessful. He can never accomplish anything. He never stays with anything. They could say the same thing about Paul. Amen? But it isn't about what our perspective is or what our neighbor's perspective is of us. What is God's calling on our life? Amen? That's the only thing I have to answer for is what has God called me to do? My resume doesn't matter. It matters to me. I want integrity in my resume. But guess what? If God moves me, if he shifts me, if he takes me in a new direction, you know what I need to do is step on out and say, God, wherever you're calling me to, wherever you're leading me to, whatever you're asking me to do, I'm just willing to go. That's what missionaries do. So as I think about that, and a lot of my life is in three-year increments. Looking back through my life, just amazing. Paul would stay three years and reach people and go to the next. A lot of my jobs are three-year increments as far as my job out in the world, in society. Why is that? I don't know. I just know this, that whenever God tells me to move, I better move. Amen? Whenever God says, it's time to resign, Ben, you know what Ben better do? Resign. Amen? Whatever God tells me to do is what I need to do. It isn't about what I want or the comfort of what I need. And don't take this to anything. My mom sat back there scared and worried. Over. Oh, Ben's resigning. He's not going to pastor Bethesda anymore. Because ah. it's usually your mom that cares about you the most. I'm not resigning until God says. I'm just not. And as far as we're concerned, me and Leslie's prayed about it a lot. And we, we, we've committed. We, we want to retire here. I don't want to go anywhere. But I'm telling you right now, if God tells me between now and next Sunday, to get on a boat and head for Singapore, I'm going. I'll just test to you right now. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. You know why? Because I believe in this group of people. And I believe it's Bethesda that we're well able to take the mountain. 
We're well able to take that hill. We're well able to take this community and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ here and give 288 pairs of shoes to little kids and tell them, this didn't come from us, this come from Jesus. Amen. Jesus made this possible in some way possible. We don't even understand it. How, how does a poor local yokel guy in Lewis County pump, come into contact with people from Missouri that knows people that make shoes all over the world and have them to ship them in here in boxes? I don't understand that. But you want me to tell you how it happens? God. <laughs> hey, only God can do those types of things. Can you afford to give 288 pairs of shoes? I can't. But God can. Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'm telling you, my wages, my salary, everything I do, I, I'm not worried about any of this. You know why? Because God is going to take care of me. You know how I know that? Because I've seen it happen time after time again. I'll be on a job and get all comfortable and think, man, this, this is the one I'm going to retire from. I'm, this is where I'm going to stay. And, and I know all the things that's going on with pensions and everything. And I'm not telling you not to trust or not to be wise or not to be a good steward. But I'm here today to preach to you as your pastor to tell you, trust God more than your government. Trust God more than your pension. Trust God more than your bank account. Why? Because God is able to take care of you no matter where you land. Paul, absolutely, if you read through the books of Acts, you'll see that he'll come in a region. He wouldn't know anybody in town. He would come marching, walking up through the riverbank, and he was walking down through there, and I'm sure his shoes were wore out. He'd been beaten, left for dead. That's a missionary, one that'll keep going when all hell's broke loose in your life. That's a true Christian that'll keep getting up every Sunday and say, you know what, enemy... You may think you're coming in like a flood, but I know the Lord, and he'll raise up a standard against you. I know the protector of my soul. I know the one that keeps me. I know my foundation. I know the rock I'm standing on. And I'm not worried about what you're doing to me, enemy. Why? Because I'm coming in here trusting and believing God to move in my life. Paul didn't worry. In all my jobs, I haven't had to worry. I can tell you. I made some dumb decisions. I've told you all about this stuff before. When I bought that, the trailer, I moved out of mom and dad's when I was 17, living with shouldn't have been doing and smarter than everybody. Bought the trailer, $189 a month, house payment, trailer payment. I pay $189 every month. How much come off the principal? Less than $10. That's like throwing money away. Amen? It's like throwing money away. And I've done that for years. And finally I got saved and got smart and started living for Jesus. And next thing you know, I, I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to trust God and, and started praying, God, what's your will for my life? And I, I want to do what your plan is and, and praying and expecting God to do things. And all of a sudden, Roby Bentley comes pulling up my driveway one day. And we all know Roby. Roby from Garrison down there. Roby come pulling up my driveway and he said, Ben, I, 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 I just want to buy your trailer. Well, hallelujah, you could pay $189 a month and only pay $10 a month off. Amen? But he got a better bank, he got a better deal, and done the best thing. So as Roby did that, he bought that trailer, and as I was doing that, I kind of dumbfounded me because here I'm 22 years old, I'm selling my trailer, the house that I'm living in, and all of a sudden, I, I've been making good money, but I was just losing money. Everything I did, every investment I made was bad. It wasn't investments, it was dumb. It was stupidity, right? So here these things were happening, and as they were happening, I, I just, God can take care. He can make a blessing out of our mess. 
If you made a mess out of your life, I'm here today to tell you, Jesus can fix your problems. His promises in your life are yes and amen. So as this is happening, as Roby buys the trailer, 22 years old, the home that I'd left was the only home I knew to go home to. You want to talk about embarrassing. 22 years old and homeless. I was homeless because Roby had to have the trailer that quick. He, he said, get it and get it right now, and we got to get up here, and I'm going to hire this guy, and he's going to come get the trailer, and he's dragging it out of here. I had to get my junk out. I, there was two closets. I couldn't even get my clothes out that he, he took. He went ahead and took. He threw them away for me because I didn't have nowhere to put them. And Leslie knows how it is. I'm a clothes hoarding outfit. This is the same shirt. I've had this same shirt for before I met her. This shirt's older than Leslie, and I wear it a lot. But I don't know, it's apparently good because it's, it's still here. She tells me it's an old man shirt because uh, Donna's dad. But man, here, look, look at his shirt. Look at my shirt. Amen. It's kind of my old man shirt, but I like it. But here I am homeless, get what clothes I can out of there. And go move in with mom and dad. That's embarrassing. Amen? Here I am living with them. Mom takes over my checkbook because I'm not very good with math and all that. Takes over my checkbook. She starts running my bank and doing all this. But now all the money that I was paying out on all these payments are all leveled and cleared. She starts saving my money. And in nine months' time, she had saved me over $11,000 in the bank. Everybody say, amen. With God, all things are possible. But sometimes it takes some embarrassment. Sometimes it takes some humility. Sometimes it takes backing up and allowing God to do those things. But as that happened, I went up to Raceland. I thought, you know what, I'm going to Raceland Church, and I'm going up here, and I'm getting involved in ministry, and Pastor Wells has let me do things, and I'm helping with the youth group and doing this and doing that in church, and I just need to live closer. And Mom traveled all over Boyd County, Raceland, Flatwoods. We drove and looked at houses for weekends and weekends and weekends and had a whole notebook full of of, of different properties we wanted to go to and look at. and We would go to the open houses and all that. Every door would close. I, bought, I put down a down payment on one little house and the door shut in my face like that. I was like, really, God? But I want to live here. Come find out it's full of black mold. Everybody say, God's my protector. Amen, because I got allergies. I'd have been a train wreck. And whenever that happened, Mom saved the money. Next thing you know, I was driving down the road and finally was getting sick of looking. And she said, you know what? Pastor Ronnie used to live over here somewhere. Let's find Pastor Ronnie. She called him up. And we stopped by Ronnie Boggs' house. And you want to know who Ronnie Boggs is? At this time? In 2002? Ronnie Boggs is the pastor of Bethesda. And I bought his house. For cheap. He sold it to me at way too cheap. He just wanted out from underneath there. Ronnie sold me that house, so I lived in the pastor of Bethesda. I lived in the house he lived in in 2002. Three. Next thing you know, I got it all. It's brick. It's nice, perfect neighborhood. Greg and Donna came to see me. I didn't get very many visitors because nobody comes from Lewis County to Raceland much other than going to Texas Roadhouse or something. But 
here they come up to see me and they come in I had a nice little place and I painted it all up and I, I had my used furniture that I got off of Francis I had her couch that I went and got and right this is the best I could come up with one time I was at church and I, I invited Ernie he was there and me and him was riding the church bus and I said why don't you guys come over to my new house my brick house that I'm proud of and I wanted to you know come up and, and they, Ernie and them was like okay him and Karen they, they we're going to come over but we're bringing Leslie so I cooked chicken, mashed potato and gravies, green beans, and my grandpa's coleslaw, German coleslaw. It was awesome. You don't know what Chef Boy or Ben can pull off. My own rub, Eric, I mean, I was going all out. She told him this morning, that's the last time I ever cooked, too. But I just wanted to prove I could so that everybody knew. But that was what it was. Next thing you know, we're living there. Me and Leslie end up getting married after I cook so well. And uh, she, she married me for my cooking skills and all that. And uh, lived there just a few years. And me and Leslie was in 2007. We was praying, and she had just come back from Master Commission and stuff. And we was praying, what, God, what's your will for our life? It's comfortable here in this brick house. It's easy. But we don't want easy. We want what you want. And God showed us some open churches on the church list, and we drove to Middlesboro, Kentucky. We drove down there at weekend and drove around and looked at the church, looked at the town, drove back home, called the presbyter of that region, she, Sister Mary Jane Boggs. She said, come down next weekend. I'll let you preach at that church. That's fast. Everybody say, that's fast. Whenever that happened, we drove down there the next weekend. We preached. Come home, we're like, God, what's your will? If, you're, if you, you, you align our steps, you do whatever you want to do, but we're, we just want to be in your will, God. Amen. So whenever that happens, the next weekend, we drive back down there again for the second service. We go down there, Sister Mary Jane. We didn't even know it's going to happen. She didn't tell us. She stood up in front of the church. There's eight people there. It'll seat 350. It's like, it's like three of these or four of these size churches, and there's eight people sitting right here in the front. Sister Mary Jane stands up and says, Well, people, you guys are going to have to make a choice. They can't drive down here all the time just wondering what you guys are going to do. you got to know, and we're going to run an election here tonight to see if they're going to be your pastor or not. And we walked out of the room, unanimous decision. We're pastors. So we drive home that night thinking, what just happened? <laughs> we're going to pastor church 242 miles away? So we get home and we start praying and, and God, whatever your will is, just work all this out. And we know and we're starting getting excited. We're going to pastor a church. And next thing you know, we decide, well, you know what, we're going to have to sell this house. So we call a realtor that's in our church at Raceland and she comes over and looks at the house and she puts it on the market for about, I don't, a lot more than what we, I gave for it. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. That's, that's bold Leslie for you. Leslie's like, yeah, let's do it for that. And I'm like, it won't bring that in 15 years. I need, we need to get rid of this. Comes in, how many days do you think it takes to sell for asking price? Three days. Guess what? Now I'm 27, 28 years old with a wife, lose my comfortable house in a nice little neighborhood, got elected to be a pastor 250 miles away from home, and in three days my house sells. You know what we got to do? People's got to move off the riverbank because the river's coming up. They said, we need it and we need it quick. We need it this week. I mean, Leslie had to work every night loading our stuff up, taking it and putting it in Ernie and Karen's garage and move in with our father-in-law. 
that takes humility. <laughs> Amen. Moving after your in-laws now. Homeless again. But you see, I could blame God for that and say, God, why, why are you letting me be homeless? Amen? But why not look at God and say, I can't believe what you're doing through your servant. I would rather go for God than live for myself. That needs to be a good quote or somebody tweet that or something. I know we're not the hashtaggers that we ought to be. Any young people that's got Twitter, tweet that. Pastor Ben, I want, you, I want you to have that. I'd rather go for God than live for myself. So missionaries is all about going. It's all about reaching. It's all about doing what God has called you to do. So today, I want to ask you, are you willing to give up your comfort to fulfill the call of God on your life? Bless if you'll come. I've been praying for this whole time during missionary series, and I, I've really, I feel like God is shifting some things. There's some people in this room that you feel uncomfortable, and this, and this, this past series, over these past four weeks, God has moved some things. There's some people that's got bad reports from the doctor. There's some people that's got bad reports from their, from their job. Pray for Dusty. Everybody look at Dusty and say, we love you. Dusty's bank sold out. He don't know for sure if he's got a job or not, right? Still asking. How many knows God will take care of him? I don't doubt that. I don't even worry about that. I trust God. He can move mountains. Amen? His callings are without repentance. So today I want us to understand that God is doing some things in our lives, but there's some people in this room that you may seem like, well, Pastor Ben, these past four weeks I've really come in and leaned in towards God, but the more I lean in towards God, it seems like the more uncomfortable I get. And I've messaged some people in this room, and I've asked you this week, what's God speaking to you? The reason I'm asking that is because I believe that God is calling you to great things. There's some people in this room that I truly believe that God is calling to great things. Do I say that I have all the answers? Absolutely not. I don't know. But I know a God that does. Won't you stand? I don't want my hometown to be an indigenous place. Everybody says, that's just Ben Collier. He's that guy that grew up Briary. His dad worked on the railroad and worked construction. What can the God do through him? I don't want any unbelief. See, there's a little boy down at the church in Middlesbrough where we went there and met. His name's Keontae. He's five years old. He ran away from home. Anybody in this room got a five-year-old, a four-, five-, six-year-old? He ran away from home. Now, I'm not just talking about down the end of the road and carrying his box and come back home because he got scared because it's dark. He ran away from home and was gone a couple of days and lived on the street by himself. And he came to our church. One time we took him, we took him camping. The church done a thing. It was called the 
Royal Rangers. It's about like Boy Scouts. And, and our church was the first time Keontae ever got to go camping. He'd never been camping with anybody in his life because his family was a turmoil. It was a mess. Keontae got to go camping with us, and he was riding in the truck with us, and we was riding along this creek bank, and I told this story here before, but not everybody in this room has heard it, so if you've heard it, just think about it like it's brand new again. But Keontae was riding along that creek bank, and as we was riding along, he, he looked, and he, he looked down, and he looked at water as we was driving along the creek bank, and he looked down, and he said, Pastor Ben, let's go swimming. He's like, no, Keontae, we can't go swimming there. That's deep, man. He said, well, Pastor Ben, is that over my head? I said, yeah, Keontae, it's over your head. Pastor Ben, is it over your head? I'm glad people look up to me. I said, yeah, Keontae, that's over my head. And his little five-year-old brain sitting there pondering for a little bit, and then next thing you know, he says, well, Pastor Ben, is it over Jesus' head? I said, nah. And I told little Keontae, there's nothing, Keontae, that God can't save you from. There's no water too deep that he can't reach, Greg, and hold us up and protect our life. And as I look back through Keontae's Facebook page today, I see him in trouble, Greg. It kind of makes me sad because I was there three years with him as a family. I was his pastor. And God called me to leave, and I don't understand why, because I wanted to retire from there. But all I know is this, that if I read that scripture and it tells me that Paul said some water or some plant, some water, but only God gives the increase. I got to trust that. That I know in the back of Conte's mind somewhere, at some point in his life, he's going to remember there was a bald guy here and his name was Pastor Ben. And he loved me when nobody else did. He told me that God can handle my situation no matter where I'm at or what I'm facing. And I'm encouraging you today with that same message. There's nothing too big for God. I don't care what circumstance, what situation you find yourself in today. And if you feel uncomfortable, maybe it's God making you uncomfortable to get you to move where he needs you to go. Bow your head if you would with me. Close your eyes. shifting is going to happen in this place is there anybody here that would say Pastor Ben this message today is for me because I can, I can sense that God is doing some things in my life and I don't understand why but I can feel a restlessness and I can sense that God wants to move mountains that seem like they're in front of me that's me, does anybody want to raise your hand you've already had one up, there's, there's more, a lot more oh yeah, oh yeah thank you for those hands God can move the mountains in your life today, folks. Everybody else say, Pastor Ben, I want today to be the day that Jesus fixes and solves my problems because he's promised me he would. Amen. Thank you for that hand. Any others, thank you for that hand. There's hands all over the room. Amen. Thank you so much. God sees you, and God knows where you're at. I want to pray for the divine will of God to do miracles in front of you.
There's some situations you're thinking, well, I can't get out of this and I can't get out of that. If he can sell my house in three days, he can do miracles in your life too. Jesus, I come to you today. Father, trusting and believing and knowing that you have called me to be pastor here at this church. Nor does I'm pastoring today. I'm, I'm seeking to equip the body to do the work of the ministry that you've called us to do. And God, I pray that people in this room today that's heard this message, that raised their hand, God, I would pray that you would just continue the work that you're doing in their life. And God, that you would transform them. Lord, that there would be life transformation. And God, that you would move mountains. And Lord, some of the things that they think is impossible, Lord, we know that you have all those things as a possibility in their life. And God, I know that you won't call, that you won't equip. Let Bethesda be the body that you've created us to be. Called and anointed to do the great things you've called us to do for this region. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.